Welcome to Solo 2.0, an empowerment podcast hosted by two sisters living in LA, making their way through the health and wellness world. I'm Ryan Birch. And I'm Jess Sukan. Each week, we're committed to bringing you conversations with risk-taking, resilient guests from diverse backgrounds, interviews with experts on controversial or misunderstood topics that will expand your perspective, and lively roundtable discussions with our mom, hormone health educator, Candace Birch. We're driven to provide the support and motivation needed to ignite growth, confidence, and purpose so you can step into that 2.0 version of you. We can't wait to dig into these conversations and hope you'll join us every week for a new episode. Let's get into it. Welcome back to the Solo 2.0 podcast. This is Ryan, co-founder of Your Hormone Balance. And I'm Jess, holistic health coach and founder of Body Blessed by Jess. This week, we're talking about something too many people go their lives missing, and that's the feeling of belonging. We got the chance to sit down with Dr. Lindo Bacon, who is the author of the brand new book, Radical Belonging, as well as the best-selling book, Health at Every Size, The Surprising Truth About Your Weight. Lindo is fostering a global transformation to a more just world where all bodies are valued, respected, and supported in compassionate self-care. Best known for their paradigm-shifting research and advocacy appending the weight discourse, Bacon's inspiring message takes us beyond size to shaping a culture of empathy, equity, and true belonging. For me personally, reading the book Health at Every Size quite a while ago now Help me to understand on a much deeper level why restrictive diets really don't work, how to eat more intuitively, just more in alignment with my own body, and also why health is about so, so much more than just how much we weigh. And now I'm about three quarters of the way through the new book, Radical Belonging, and I've had so many aha moments and have learned so much about the impact that our culture has on the way that people view themselves, just how they view other people, their sense of belonging, and their ability to live authentically without having to change who they are at their core. Yeah, it's been amazing to see how many takeaways and aha moments you've had since reading the book. And the book is now out, so go to lindobacon.com to get your copy of Radical Belonging. In this conversation with Lindo, we talk about Lindo's upbringing as a girl who didn't connect with the idea of femininity, even though that's what their parents wanted for them, and how the birth name Linda never felt right, the touching story that led to legally changing their name to Lindo, and how this switch allowed them to finally feel seen, why referring to someone with the proper personal pronoun is so important, and Lindo helps us understand the difference between pronouns, how marginalized communities are treated differently because they don't fit into their assigned gender and why this needs to change right away. We talk about authenticity, why it's a lot easier to be your authentic self when the outside world tells you that it is or that it has value, why representation in society is so key, and Lindo's personal experience struggling with body acceptance and the cultural expectations of what we should look like, as well as tips for breaking free from these pressures. So while you listen to this episode, we encourage you to reflect on some of the cultural messages you received growing up and how they impacted your own life or maybe even the way you treated others because of it. Also encourage you to really analyze the messages that you're still seeing today around weight, uh, body image, diet, and really just look at it from different perspectives. 
we have all been through a really heavy time, but one thing is for certain, people are crying out for change and listening and learning to the stories of other people is one of the most important steps we can all take. So with that said, pour yourself a glass of wine or make a nice hot tea. Do whatever feels right for you in this moment and let's get into this conversation with Dr. Lindo Bacon. So Linda, we wanted to extend a warm welcome to our podcast and just have to say how much we've been looking forward to having you on today. Oh, thank you. That's sweet. And I um, took the time to listen to your podcast a few episodes and you two are doing such beautiful stuff. It'll be a lot of fun to chat. Oh, that's so sweet of you. Thank you so much. Really appreciate that. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm a holistic health coach. And one of the things that I'm really passionate about is helping my clients break free from restrictive dieting. So I first found out about you through your book, Health at Every Size. And it was recommended to me by a friend of mine. And it had a really profound impact on me. There was so much in that book that I had never thought about before that was actually really liberating for me. And that I've been able to share with clients and I, it's something that I, you know, I never want to get rid of that book because I feel like I'm always going back to it. And I think for anybody who's ever been on a diet or felt pressure to lose weight, they need to read that book twice or three times. (laughs) That's very sweet to hear. And I feel like with all of my books, they're all very liberatory for me. You know, I'm writing about issues I struggle with and showing the path I had to take that felt like it was freeing. So it's great to know that my work resonates with other people. And, um, you know, we're all human. And I really try to reach down to find the humanity that makes it hard for all of us to enjoy our bodies, be in this world, etc. And mm-hmm. find those solutions about how we manage among that. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't have to be so black and white, you know, it's, there's all of these gray areas. And I love that, you know, you're so understanding of everybody's past and just help meet, help people to meet themselves where they're at. And um, you just released or are about to release another book, Radical Belonging, which you were so kind to send us a copy of. And I am, I have a hundred pages left, but I'm totally hooked. And usually it takes me a while to get through books, but I've just been looking forward to waking up and reading it, especially during this time. And I just feel like it's already changed my life in a lot of different ways. So I'm really looking forward to digging into some of the incredibly important topics and somehow you get through so much in that book while still remaining interesting and, I mean, have me on the edge of my seat. So to kick off the conversation, I would love to start by asking you, what does radical belonging mean to you? Well, sometimes it's easier to start with what it doesn't mean um, because Mm-hmm. needed that in order to recognize what was missing and what I needed in my life. And radical belonging, or I'm sorry, what it doesn't mean is trying to fit in with the world and be loved and valued and accepted. Because what we know is that 
the world sets us up with all these ideas of what makes a good person and who, who is valued. And none of us measure up to that. And that seems to be the problem is that we're looking for that in other people. We're demanding it in other people and we're looking at it ourselves and disappointed that we don't measure up. But mm-hmm. radical belonging is something that's very different. It's when we just kind of recognize that we're all humans with all our human fragility, with our fear, with our trauma, with our eating disorders and substance abuse and the challenges we go through. And yet, like, that's just the struggle of being human is we all just have to fit figure out how to manage in a world that doesn't always treat us so well. Mm-hmm. And, um, and it's interesting, as I'm listening to myself, I'm just focusing on the negative. But really, that's not what radical belonging is about. It's about finding that space of ultimate love and connection where you just are and you're loved and accepted for who you are despite and because of all of those things that may present challenges for you. Mm -hmm. It feels so freeing. Just that word radical is so powerful to feel like you radically belong. I mean, you nail it on the head. So And you really paint that picture of of what that could look like and feel like, even though so few people feel that way, unfortunately, fully. Um, But in the prologue to the book, you talk about how most of us want people we love to have access to every tool and opportunity to be themselves, to be loved, and to flourish in the world. And then you go on to say that it's what your parents wanted from you, and they named you Linda, Can you talk about the profound impact that this feminine name had on your identity and the experience of growing up in a female body, but not feeling uh, connected to um, femininity? Right. Yeah. Well, um, the word Linda has its roots in Spanish and Portuguese, meaning beautiful. And as you noted, the A at the end is a feminine ending. And that's what my parents wanted for me. And in the book, I recounted the story of being at my bat mitzvah, which is um, a Jewish coming of age ritual at 13 um, when you present to the world and now you're no longer a girl, but a woman. And I remember hearing my father's speech at the time at the in our temple. And he was talking about how I'd become the beautiful woman that they'd always wanted me to be. And, you know, that's. That's when I first learned of the derivation of my name. Mm -hmm. And I'm sitting there just feeling like such a complete failure. There I was in the frilly dress that they forced me into when really I had so coveted the suit my brother had worn to his bar mitzvah, Mm -hmm. you know, and, and I would have felt so much more comfortable in that. But My parents would just shame me for the clothes that I wanted to wear and for the ways that I wanted to present my gender in the world. And so that that time, you know, learning about my name was just really painful for me. But over the years, I've realized, uh, well, I had another experience. And um, I know you said you haven't gotten to the end of the book yet, but in the end of the book, you learn about... (laughs) 
Um, where I heard the 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 name Lindo. Yes. And, um, so that experience was when I was traveling, and I met a man, and we'd spent a day kayaking together. My um, partner and son were in another kayak also, but he and I were in a kayak together. And so we, we just had hours and hours to chat. And he couldn't, he, um, he was fluent in Spanish. He was actually Mayan, but he, Spanish was one of the many languages he spoke. And he couldn't quite reconcile the name with the person he was meeting. And I remember at one point, he finally just said, oh, I get it. You're Lindo. And he explained to me that he was masculinizing the end and that when he did it in his culture, it wasn't just about physical beauty anymore, but that it changed to talk about a beautiful essence. And he felt like that was more appropriate for me. And as soon as he said it, it just felt so right. I felt like I'd come home. Like it was a way of retaining what my parents wanted for me in theory, but making it more my own and more legitimate. So I didn't lose my history, but I twisted it. So it validated me. And Lindo just felt so much more appropriate. So um, I started to test it out, ask my family and friends to try using it and it worked. And so eventually I got the name legally changed too. How long ago was that? The legal change actually was just a few years ago. So I'm still sitting with that. Mm-hmm. And when was the, tri- the trip where you met that man? Um, again, that was just a few years ago. Okay. Mm-hmm. Wow. So I spent, I spent much of my life, you know, with this name that just never quite resonated for me. Wow. Mm-hmm. Yeah. How did that impact your, your relationships, your interactions and confidence growing up? Sort of how was, how would you say your personality was different as Linda? Well, to this day, I think that most people have this very binary, concrete sense of gender and they look at me and most people gender me woman. And the name Linda was just one of the many reasons why people would put me into that gender category. Um, and so I feel like it's been a, it's been a struggle for me much of my life because people aren't really seeing me for who I am because they have this conception of me as a woman And I don't feel like I'm a woman. I've never related to it. Not that I feel like I'm a man either. I just don't relate to either of those boxes. So the term genderqueer feels a lot more appropriate for me. And I think anybody that knows me sees me for that. But um, it takes a while for people that don't know me um, because of their projections of what I'm supposed to be. And I think that we're at a time right now where there's a cultural shift right now, where those of us in the trans community are suggesting that you don't have a clue what a kid's gender is when they're born. 
you know, all you're doing is you're identifying their genitalia and putting them in a box that may not be who they really are. So let's stop assuming we know what someone, who somebody is and leave the space for them to find and define their own gender. Now, I don't think my gender has changed at all since I was a little kid. It's been pretty static. But what has shifted over time is demanding that people see me for it, um, as opposed to me um, kind of accepting being seen as a woman so much. Mm-hmm. It is interesting how powerful a name can be, you know, and I think that it's beautiful that you're in this place. And I, I love how you said people really see you for you. I think that that is so, so important. And um, since you you did touch on identifying as genderqueer, which is similar to, as to non-binary, um, for those who maybe don't know or understand, could you explain the difference between someone who's genderqueer, non-binary, transgender, and cisgender? And then also touch on why referring to people with the proper personal gender pronouns is so important. Sure. So um, non-binary refers to um, people that don't fit into the classic um, binary, meaning two gender system of male and female. Um, So if you do fit into that system. So for example, if you were born with the genitalia that are associated, that people put in that category called male and you identify as a man, um, the term that is used to describe people like that is cisgender. But if your gender identity doesn't match the one that you were assigned based on birth, then we use the term transgender. And transgender is a big umbrella term to encompass anybody whose gender identity doesn't fit into the one that they were assigned at birth. So that means it includes people like me who identify as non-binary. And personally, I use the terms non-binary and genderqueer interchangeably. But for some people, there are some nuanced differences between Okay. Do you know that? I'm curious what those differences are. Honestly, no, I don't. Okay. So it's safe to say that you could, you know, genderqueer and non-binary typically would be the same um, proper gender pronoun to use. Right. And, And just to reiterate, too, that I also use the term transgender to describe myself as part of kind of the larger um, umbrella term. Okay. Okay. Why do you think, because I think, you know, you hear people complain about having to use pronouns and it's, it's, it's complicated to them. And, you know, people get so bent out of shape about having to be more understanding and accepting of the way someone feels and and wishes to live. Why do you think people struggle so much with these pronouns? Well, I think part of it is if you're cisgender, you're seen for who you are. I mean, to some extent, because, of course, not everybody fits into the, their gender category at all times in all ways. So even I would imagine all cisgender people have some ways in which they feel like they don't 
fit into the role that was assigned to them entirely. Okay, but anyway, um, if you don't have that personal experience of not being seen, I think it could be really difficult to understand what that experience might be like for somebody else. And it's an experience I just had today where I was on a Zoom call with a bunch of people and the moderator was trying to get us to bond. And they just said something like, um, come on, ladies, let's do this. And it for me, it was like getting kicked in the gut. It was like, here I was with these people. We had so many common interests. We were working together for a political goal. I'd felt bonded by with them. And then all of a sudden, there was this clear sense of, no, I'm not one of you. And you don't see that I'm not one of you. You're making an assumption about me. And I just don't fit into that. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and it was interesting because I didn't want to make a big deal of it because it it wasn't what we were there to talk about. I didn't want to distract from all of our issues. Mm-hmm. But suddenly it it just colored it. And I no longer felt like I was part of the group anymore. Mm. So I think that, that cisgender people might not because have that felt experience of what it's like not to be seen. Mm-hmm. So that might make it very difficult for them to understand why other people, um, like don't want to be misgendered all the time. They don't want the assumption. And you don't know somebody's gender identity without asking them. So I think it's best that we learn how to ask these things rather than make assumptions. And I know it can get tiresome and, you know, feel unnecessary. And yet, This is what we need to do in this new world where we're recognizing that we've had a world that for so long, so many people with dominant identities have been able to thrive and people, other people have been marginalized and not felt like they belonged. And that's not working for us. I mean, we lose out on all the great contributions and things that the marginalized people could bring to this world if they had more power and ability to kind of shine more opportunity. And it's also just mean spirited to shut people out. So I would love us to move to this place where we stop making assumptions and we create a world where everybody can belong. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I was actually in the pet pet store the other day and had to use the restroom. So I went, you know, I asked where the restroom was and it was a gender neutral restroom. There was one door and I had this like moment and maybe because it's because I'm reading your book, I, you know, I don't know that I was like, wow, you know, I just walk into this restroom like it's no thing, you know, but the significance that that sign has, um, for so many people that Mm. have had to make a choice that have had to look at two doors, one says woman and one says man, and literally had to make a choice that they don't identify with. Mm. So I'm interested, you know, and it was like this really, I took a photo of the door and I I was going to write a post about it and I just couldn't figure out what, how, what exactly I wanted to say, but it was like, 
what a privilege, yeah. you know? And that most of us take for granted. That most of us take for granted. So Yeah, and we could also extend it too, because it's not just a matter of feeling like you belong. I mean, some people actually get beaten up and murdered for mm-hmm. using a bathroom that someone else identifies they shouldn't be in. Yeah. So, and I think a lot of those too is, but when you throw on multiple levels of marginalization, like I might get hostile stares when I walk into, when I have to force, I'm forced to choose between a men's and women's room and I walk into the women's room and sometimes I get hostile stares because people aren't really clear whether or not I'm a woman and, you know, and I, I get the dirty looks, but um, other people get it much, much worse than me. And, you know, if I, I, I'm white personally, and that gives it, makes it a little bit easier, but when people have other, um, ways in which they're marginalized, you know, like black and brown people who are trans are much more likely to actually get beaten up and even murdered for, um, you know, because they don't fit into their assigned gender. Right. So these, these aren't trivial issues. Exactly. And that's why when people are inconvenienced by having to use, having to be aware of using proper pronouns or being aware of these pain points for other people at all, it's just understand what's at stake. And that's why these conversations are so important is mm-hmm. it's not just it's not trivial. Yeah. It's, uh, these are major things for people other than yourself. And I think Jess was telling me, I haven't been able to read your book yet, but she was saying something you talk about in the book is authenticity. And it's interesting being in the wellness world, especially out here in LA, you see a lot of white women. Um, and I'm sure at some point we've talked about authenticity because it's, it's a great word in the sense, and it's a great thing to strive for in the sense that we should all be our truest authentic self, but how convenient that so many of us can do that so easily um, when society's standard of what is normal, uh, when it fits society's standard. So we wanted to ask you about uh, about authenticity and how, um, how, I guess, the issues that you see with this uh, within maybe like the white wellness world and how someone who doesn't fit into a box can really truly feel comfortable stepping into their most authentic self? Sure, that's a great question. And before we go there, I want to just back up a little bit and go back to the other point we were talking about. Um, to, to say that around pronouns, I think it's really important to recognize that it. I'm not going to ask cisgender people to do this just because it's the nice, right, kind thing to do for trans people. But also... There's so much benefit you get from it or cisgender people get from it themselves, because I'm telling you, every time I'm misgendered, I'm just going to shut down and I'm not going to want to be part of your world. You're going to mess miss out on getting to know me, you know, and I feel like I've got a lot of pretty amazing things to offer. And so your world becomes very narrow when you don't open it up in this way. So I think that cisgender people are very much hurt by um, using by assuming pronouns in a way that's um, you know not so again just to, it goes well beyond not hurting somebody else 
to narrowing and limiting your world too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I yeah. actually, as you were speaking, it kind of a little analogy, I guess, that it made me think about is like when you travel, like when I travel, I fortunately, I, you know, not traveling now, but when I travel to other countries with my husband or family, we always love to kind of get outside of our comfort zone and meet the locals and hear their story and have them take us to like little local places that they go and that are authentic and get that real experience and have those conversations that might be a little uncomfortable because maybe there's a bit of a language barrier and you know it's kind of like or we could stay within the confines of the resort and I'm not putting people down for that but it's just that that is super comfortable and you get an experience that you know is going to look a certain way whereas stepping outside of that and learning about somebody else who, you know, is completely different from you can be a little bit uncomfortable. So I think it really is just getting, I know it's oversaid, but like getting comfortable being uncomfortable because that that's really where, you know, experiences and knowledge and beauty and growth comes from. It's not staying in that box. Right. Right. So let's get to that great question you had about authenticity. Um, because I think that that is such an important point that, that you raised, that it's a lot easier to be your authentic self when the um, outside world tells you that your authentic self has value. So as much as I think that authenticity is really important, because if you don't show yourself to the world, then you can't get appreciation for who you are, right? If you're hiding an aspect of yourself. So it's great that if you can be authentic and, you know, like put your shame aside and just show people who you are and, and um, hopefully you'll get love and acceptance back for it. Um, But I also know that had I showed my authentic self back when I was 13 years old, or when I did, punished for it, not, I didn't get respected or valued for it. So there was a really good reason why I tried to play girl after that. Um, It was a survival technique. And um, so that then becomes our challenge as we're adults is to try to figure out to what extent do we need to keep protecting ourselves and not showing aspects of who we are to the world um, out of survival? And, you know, when is it really valuable? And when does not showing aspects of ourselves mean that, well, then, you know, we don't get the chance to get loved and appreciated for that. Mm-hmm. So it's... I think a lifelong journey for all of us to figure out how we can move to being more and more authentic in the world and finding the safety that we need that's going to allow us to be valued. Yeah. What do you think are some steps that we can, that people can take to find their authentic self? Because I think that's, such, you know, even that's, that's a challenge. that is a challenge yeah. to even know, like, what is my authentic self? How do I show that to the world? Maybe I have never even been given the chance to express it or explore it whatsoever. Um, and then to feel confident stepping into that and, you know, sharing that self 
with the world or maybe testing it out in some way at first? You know, it's interesting. I didn't, I don't have a, um, an answer to that in advance, but as you were asking the question, I just, um, kind of looked back at my own history and what I realized was that, Hey, I didn't, I tried to play woman because I thought that was the only possibility. I like, I had no exposure to trans people as a kid to even know, consider that that might be what was going on for me. And everybody was putting me into this woman box. So basically I was trying to be what I was told a woman was supposed to be. Now, of course, we all know today, or I shouldn't say we all know that, um, that those ideas of femininity and masculinity are social constructs and that we don't, that we don't need to fit into them in order to be a true woman, etc. Um, but still, the idea of losing the need to fit into a construct entirely and finding a unique gender was just not even a possibility that I even could dream myself into until much more recently in life. So I think one of the biggest things that we need to do is recognize that we don't have a whole lot of representation of difference in our world. Mm -hmm. So for all of the ways in which we're different, we don't see that. So we really need to be hearing more and more stories from people and, um, you know, seeing the diversity of how people live and are in the world. And I think that that is one of the, the biggest things we can all be doing is just expanding our world to see outside of our limited culture and learn more about other people. Yes. Yeah, I totally agree. Yeah, and hearing you talk about, you know, it's hard enough growing up for every every young girl struggles with body confidence, um, body acceptance, being shown all of these images and ads of how we're supposed to look. And then, you know, you're a young Linda, called Linda, but struggling to identify with that name and identify with that gender. So what was your experience with body insecurity and body acceptance? We know that it led to this incredible work that you do today. Sure. Um, and I want to like take you through two stages there. At first, the um, I was really, I had this very strong idea that, of course, I, I didn't make this up. I was fed to fed it through our culture that to be successful as a woman, you had to be slender. And there are all these ideas of how you're supposed to do it, like restricting your calories and exercising. And I had this idea that if only I could do those successfully and lose weight, I could pass as a woman and be accepted and valued. And that was my eating disorder when I was, you know, it kind of began around puberty, I'd say. And 
that was how eating disorders were conceptualized back then. So I was told that, you know, the solution is to just kind of accept that women come in all sizes and shapes and to learn how to just love my body and not fear fat. And, um, and that, that's the eating disorder narrative that's commonly told to most women today. And it wasn't until much later in life that I realized that that story that I'd always believed about my own eating disorder wasn't actually true. That, yes, getting thinner would have allowed me to pass better as a woman, but really the issue for me was the weight meant that I was putting, I was getting hips and breasts and not, and it was stopping people from seeing me in that kind of ungendered body that I had pre-puberty. And so really it was the journey that would have been much more helpful for me is to, is had I had a broader sense of from body stuff that recognized, you know, other issues other than just like the typical white woman's narrative. Mm -hmm. Um, Like, for example, there are a lot of other narratives, like, uh, like the history of colonization and that black women have had to deal with that have kind of kept their bodies in check and um, like the issue of fatness is very different for black women than for white women, etc. So I guess what I've realized over time is that everybody's got their unique story of why this cultural idea of how, what our body's supposed to look like um can be mismatched with what it what we actually do look like, you know, and we all have our own journey of trying to learn to love and appreciate our bodies when that doesn't get reflected back by the outside culture. Mm-hmm. So I I don't even know. Did I even answer your question there? Or did yeah, I yeah. get distracted? No, you did. And the question was about your own, your personal experience, you know, struggling with body acceptance, which you answered. And, and you also got into kind of the issues around cultural sort of expectations of what we should look like. Uh, and so we wanted to know from there, some of the powerful steps that you took to heal your relationship with your body and our culture. Um, well, I would say that the most powerful step was um, the recognition that it's not just my problem, that this is a cultural problem where my body isn't accepted and where people are projecting ideas onto me based on my body that didn't allow them to really see me for who I was. So I think the biggest thing is recognizing that this is a cultural problem, not so much an individual problem. And so part of the healing is around um, situating the problem outside yourself 
and also finding other community um, that's going to help you to recognize and um, be there with you in that disparity. Mm-hmm. And yeah, there are a lot more steps, but I think I'm going to leave a, a few things for people to find on their own through reading the book, because I think I've got a lot of great stories in the book about different steps I've taken throughout the years to adjust to this body and to feel the liberation that has really helped me to feel whole. Yeah, there's a lot and many, many stories. And I feel like I'm definitely gonna have to read this book again. I've written so many notes. (laughs) Yeah. And I mean, maybe then this question I was going to ask next is a little uh, redundant, but just seeing the the higher education that you've had, these three degrees, specializing in eating disorders, body image, exercise science, metabolism, nutrition, and just at each level, you know, clearly building upon this knowledge and, and learning a new philo- or creating your own philosophy. So I want, I was going to ask what you believe the keys are to having a really healthy, fulfilling relationship with your body um, after, or just after all of this higher education, what, what was something that really just hit you maybe an aha moment because I know that led to sort of catalyst for your books and a lot of the work that you've done. Right. So as you've noted, all of my education was really just exploring these issues because in each field of study, like there's this belief system that if only you understand exercise, for example, you're going to get this body that you love and that, you know, works the way you want. Or if only you diet right and, you know, like learning about metabolism can teach you that, um, that'll be the solution. Or I also have a master's degree in psychology. You know, the idea is that um, my problems around eating were because I was eating my feelings, right? That that was the idea that was promoted. So yes, I studied this through so many different angles, trying to get at, you know, what is the core issue? And in every single field that I studied, what I learned was there was a huge disconnect between what we're taught about those issues and what's real. You know, so for example, I learned that People who exercise regularly, well, um, that doesn't necessarily mean that they're going to lose weight and keep it off. In fact, the vast majority of people that um, start and actually that continue in exercise programs, um, they may lose weight at first, but the vast majority of them put the weight back on even when they continue their exercise programs. And I know that that's something that many people don't necessarily believe because culturally we're taught that exercise is supposed to be that magic panacea, but according to the data, it's not. So there is a disconnect in almost every field. All of these ideas we have about how to manage and control your weight, the relationship between weight and health, they're all based on lies or manipulation of data. And I think what I really um, came to in the end is that we've got to drop all of those ideas and just trust that our bodies actually know how to take care of us much better 
than any scientist does. And our bodies are constantly giving us signals that tell us, you know, like what to eat and when to eat and how much to eat. And we can trust those signals. And which is not to say that everybody who trusts their bodies and eats when they're hungry and stops when they're full, et cetera, is going to be slender because that's not true. Um, for some people, that's going to bring them to a weight that's kind of heavier. And so we all have different ways that are right for us to be in the world. And I should also say, too, that eating is not just about those physical signals either. There's a lot of other reasons why we eat that. And there are a lot of other things that make food nourishing for us beyond just physical nourishment. So this is a big, confusing picture that goes well beyond weight and health. Um, the, the idea, you know, like what things like eating and exercise, what kind of impact they have on us. Um, so really, I think I kind of got away from your question there. Um, and I don't even remember what your question is anymore. <laughs> Can you re-steer oh. me back? Yeah, no, it's okay. It was more from all of these years of education, what was maybe a huge takeaway for you or... Got it. And, and, okay, and so you, you answered I, I was I was on track. The huge yeah, takeaway was... There, there are two takeaways. The first huge takeaway was that um, science can't give you the answers better than you can through self-exploration. And... Um, it's also interesting, too, that I feel like when when I look at why I got all these degrees, it was uh, the goal was basically to save myself. And I was looking at every field to try to come up with the answers. And I think, too, that there was something else that was at play. And that's this sense of looking for some legitimacy in the world. Like, I feel like. Um, I was trying to prove to my parents that I was smart. And, you know, if only I got this credential behind me, then everybody could see and they would, not just my parents, but people would value what I said if I was a doctor, um, you know, or if I had all these master's degrees behind me. And so it was always, so I think in part, there was a search for legitimacy. And there was a point where I realized that no amount of legit, no amount of academic degrees was really going to give me the sense of feeling confident and competent in who I was. That wasn't really going to come from education. And I think about that now the way, yes, all of these degrees have been a ticket to my career. Like people value what I say and it gives me a certain credibility but really, it's the lived experience I've had that has really taught me the most about my body, um, how best to live, you know, how to be in relationship with other people. That That's not really something I ever got from academia. So um, the, the things that uh, that make people, that people look to me so that they're willing to listen to me, 
aren't really the things that I think should be valued. I mean, yes, they've contributed to a certain knowledge. I'm not going to deny that. I mean, I did get a lot out of a PhD in physiology that's been valuable, but it's not the core thing that's really helped me to understand this whole issue of how do we appreciate our own body or other people's bodies. Mm-hmm. And it's so much more relatable to when people, when you share these personal stories, you know, and it's like, oh, wow, you know, if they went through it, this is something that, you know, I can get through too. And I have this supportive person and this community now that I can turn to. And that's so much more relatable than like, oh, this person. So unfortunately, at this point of the interview, our audio cut out and we lost the last 10 minutes of the conversation. But it was actually a really powerful place to wrap up anyway, just making the point that at the end of the day, it's our lived experiences, our uphill battles, the challenges we experience and then overcome that teach us the greatest lessons and give us the gifts that we can ultimately use to help others the way Lindo has done through their books and their work as a speaker, scientist, and storyteller. So if you yourself have ever felt marginalized, discriminated against, or treated as though you don't belong, you are not alone. And we acknowledge you for showing up for yourself today just by listening to this episode. We also encourage you to share your story with someone that you trust or just start by writing it down because you really never know who you can inspire to open up and share theirs as well. And of course, as Rai mentioned, check out Lindo's book, Radical Belonging, at their website, lindobacon.com, where you can also find their best-selling books, Health at Every Size and Body Respect. You can connect with Lindo on Instagram as well, at lindobacon, and we hope that you'll do that. At the end of this episode, Lindo shares that they recently broke their arm, which has been especially challenging, not having the normal outlets for support, but that connecting with friends and leaning on them for love has been everything. So as we approach the winter months and further time apart from our normal communities and outlets for mental health and self-care, we really challenge you to think about ways that you can still connect with people who build you up and to remember that there are still plenty of opportunities for being a part of community, sharing love with others, no matter where you live and unique ways to spend time with those you love. In fact, today I picked up some beautiful succulents and arrangements from our favorite plant lady at, well, Ariana, Ariana Claremont, but she just recently changed her company name. I was, it was Succulents for Haiti, but now it's Planting for Hope. And she actually mails these gorgeous original arrangements, dried flowers, succulents all over the country. So uh, we encourage you. In fact, in our Instagram, we'll we'll share some of, of what she does. But that's a great way to share a really unique gift with people, and and it's a living it's a living thing. So yeah. also bringing light to uh, your environment as well. Yeah, I I am obsessed with planting for hope, and Rai just brought me my belated birthday gift, which was this beautiful succulent arrangement. If you guys want to check it out, it's uh, Planting Hope LA on Instagram. And you can actually check out all of what she does through her Etsy link there as well. And a portion of the proceeds goes to their family orphanage in Haiti, which is so cool. So you're giving back at the same time, which actually feels so, so good. 
Yeah, I think that's just one small example. But, yeah. and, you know, and Lindo shared in the part that got cut out that they were wearing a T-shirt that their friends had sent them and that just having it on reminded them of their friends mm-hmm. and felt connected even though we're so apart. So it's those little things where those handwritten letters, let's bring those things back that uh, are really just mean so much more during this time. Yeah. Other Ideas just has found some really cool virtual paint night experiences that you can do via a site called Yay Maker, which Jess has done with our parents and you've done on a date night with Josh, right? Yeah, that is awesome because they have so many different types of classes. So you can do painting, they have cooking, they have like arts and crafts. Um, I'm sure that they have something for like Thanksgiving, Christmas, Hanukkah, all the holidays. Um, I know that they were doing like decorating pumpkins around Halloween, Um, but all the classes are really affordable. So I've taken classes that are $10. I've taken classes that are $15. I've taken like a master class painting class, which I did not mean to take because it was so hard, Um, (laughs) but it was $20 and it was meant for artists. And I didn't realize that, but they have very beginning um, classes and it's really cool to just, you know, invite, you can take a public class, but then you, we invited my parents and we were able to see them and kind of feel like we were painting with them. Um, and again, that's on yaymaker.com. Yaymaker.com. And then my husband, Josh, you guys have heard me talk about a lot, is a mixologist and he teaches virtual cocktail classes. And I believe at this point he has eight different class types, which is crazy. He had two in the beginning and he's added a holiday class and he's also doing pumpkin spice infusion. So it's really fun. And, and again, those are only 20 bucks and you can take a private class with your friends and family or join a public class. You're with other people. Um, and he teaches them outside uh, at the bar that he built and it's lit up right now with like fun twinkly lights. So definitely a really cool thing that you can do. Yeah, and I think, you know, of course, there's other suggestions that you've probably all heard of, like Marco Polo, which is an app that allows you to just send quick voice messages and videos and images to friends in a way that kind of feels like um, almost like a walkie-talkie style. Uh, So that's cool. That's different than Zoom or anything else, which I think everyone has exhaustion from. Also, Jess and I have signed up for a few different challenges through the Nike Run app, which it's actually, I think, just the Nike app, or yeah, Nike Run Club. And you can start your own challenge with friends and family as a great way to be connected, but also be kind of competing against each other for maybe a monthly mile uh, limit. You know, you set a goal and then you can see where each person is at every day. And that has done wonders for me, just seeing where other people are and getting that motivation. Like, okay, she's up to this mile in three days. Like I can get out there tonight and do my walk. And so sometimes that's the extra push we need. And it's fun because then you have this banter with your friends and it gets competitive. (laughs) And so that's another fun thing we would suggest. Yeah. I also wanted to say too, that I, to your point about cards, I received a birthday card from one of my good friends. Shout out to Laura um, and Sarah. And it was just so, I don't know. It was like this moment. I just felt so loved and appreciated because how often, I mean, think about it. When was the last time you sent someone a handwritten card or you received one and just like seeing somebody's handwriting on paper is so rare. Um, so, you know, even just with the holidays, thinking about how you can send someone a card just to say you're thinking about them, or I actually sent, we're going home for Christmas, hopefully, um, and sent my family this, 
uh, website that I found with like 78 DIY crafts that you can do. And a lot of them are really easy. I mean, I'm not artistic at all, but it's definitely things that I can do. And, you know, even doing something like that while you're at home with whoever you're, you know, you live with or by yourself and then sending that as gifts this year, just because we do have more time to do that. And think about how it would feel to receive a handmade gift, you know? Yeah. And last thing I'll say before we share the final tip that Lindo gave at the end of the episode, which again got cut off, is that I recently saw there's an event company called We Crush Events that has virtual classes that are all based or that are all cause-based. So you can make dog toys or dog tags and toys for rescue dogs. You can create crafts for kids in hospitals. I can't remember there were each different courses. So that's also another really cool thing that you can do with any, with your friends, family from anywhere in the country, but also be making a difference, giving back. I mean, to me, I I saw that the other night and I was just really impressed and uh, the innovation um, during these times, especially from event professionals who no longer have that in-person, you know, event life. So Check that out as well. We crush events. I'm sure other mm-hmm. event companies are doing similar things, but and I love I, that give back, give back component. Can I say one more? Cause that jogged something in me. That is awesome. I've never heard of that, but also even though we need to maintain social distancing and wear masks and all of that, so, so important, but the holidays are even tougher for people. I mean, extremely tough this holiday season and for those in under, underserved communities. And there's a lot of opportunity to give your time and donations and to drop off food safely. There's a lot of organizations that are doing this. And I just really want to encourage you to, to think about how you can do that. I personally recently um, became a huge fan of the plant-based cheese company, Misha's Kind Foods, and met with one of the guys who works over there. And he and his son every weekend uh, do a grocery roundup and take it to um, some families in need. And, you know, I reached out to him to see if I could socially distance with them and drop off um, some food this holiday season. And and so just thinking about, you know, how can you do that and do that maybe with whoever you're living with? And, and that's a way to connect, you know, without actually being able to like um, hang out with somebody. Yeah, definitely. And finally... Lindo talked about the fact that they will be creating a community program. It's not launched yet, but uh, it would be in Facebook. And that, of course, is just another great way to find groups and others that are that share those common interests with you. So I'm sure we're telling you something you already know, but hopefully some of those suggestions will encourage you to further connect with your loved ones. Even though we all got super burned out from the Zoom calls at the beginning of quarantine, it does look like we're going to be in this for a little while longer. So let's make the best of it and and get outside of the box with ways we can still share love, give love, and connect with, with loved ones. Yeah. And on that note, we want to wrap up this episode. We really thank you, Lindo, for coming on and sharing your story and words of wisdom. This is the kind of courage that it takes to pave the way for other people to come out and share their stories and to foster and encourage a space for people to feel empowered to be exactly who they are. Also, pretty, pretty please, if you're enjoying our podcast so far, we'd love for you to subscribe, leave us a positive review so we can keep bringing on guests you want to hear from and grow this community. We also encourage you to take a screenshot of the episode and tag us on your Instagram stories at solo2.0podcast so we can share it as well. Thank you for listening and remember... 
Even if nothing feels right today, you tuning into this podcast and opening your mind is enough. Change doesn't happen overnight, so be patient and kind to yourself and good things will come. See you next time.